Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This time on Vet Story. Um, we were in Helmand Province, Afghanistan, clearing a an IED facility and so I went to step out of the shack to make the radio call and that's when I ended up stepping on a pressure plate that was in the threshold. There's a couple things you realize, right? Surfers and military people think a lot alike. The, you yep. know, mission oriented. I thought it was fake at first. I was like, there's no way in the world that there's this much happiness in one single spot. You can feel the healing just said go and so I just paddled as hard as I could and I feel the like it was a good sized way to I mean I leaned forward and I dropped you can feel the hope in people's lives because they're having these tiny little shifts in perception what's up and welcome to another vet story I'm your host Phil Briggs now today we'll hear about the one thing that could make an Army Green Beret surrender. Now I'll warn you, some of this audio is hard to hear. It's a little troubling. In fact, it'll make you want to quit your job and go directly to the nearest beach. Because we're talking about surfing. Now, to demonstrate the awesome power of Mother Nature, let's just start by comparing the sounds of my day so far. Each day starts in the suburbs of Washington, D.C. Then I start my truck. Then the subway. Then the walk down the city streets to the office. By 9 a.m., I'm already hyper alert, starting to feel the stress of the city, work, news headlines, and work deadlines. Now compare all that to the beach. This is where our story today will take us. But we start years ago in Arizona. Uh, my name is Caleb Brewer. I'm a retired Army Sergeant First Class and served all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Right there. All right, tell me about yourself. Um, just tell me about where you grew up. What made you want to join the Army? Okay, so I was born and raised in Tucson, Arizona. Um, went to a college prep high school you know obviously getting you ready to go to college and started the university of arizona as a mechanical engineering major very quickly found out that was not for me nor was i mature enough and ready enough to go to college so i ended up dropping out 
and kind of floated around for a couple years doing odds and ends, different jobs here and there and decided that I needed a little bit more in my life. So I had a buddy who was in the military and ended up joining the Army um, as an intelligence analyst, more along the lines of getting a security clearance and some good college education after the Army. But while I was there, I ran across a buddy that had this book called Get Selected for Special Forces. And the title just just drew me in right away. And so I started reading it and initially realized I made a huge mistake. That's what I should have done right out of the get-go. So I made it kind of at that point in my mind, I needed to go there and I needed to do those things and be with those guys because they were some pretty hard chargers. So um, I made it a goal, but the goal kind of went to the back burner very shortly after because our unit got um, orders to go to Iraq in uh, 2007. And then we ended up deploying in 2008. So I went there, um, served for one year in Baghdad, um, doing intel work, which is pretty important, but it really wasn't my cup of tea because I'm not a desk guy. And um, that goal kind of resurfaced. And a small group of friends and myself started training to go to selection. And when we got back from Iraq in 2009, transferred over to the 19th Special Forces Group and spent the next three years going through training um, had to go through a selection process, airborne school, leadership school, um, a, a smaller version of ranger school, learn to speak Indonesian, learn to work on satellite radios, and then graduated and earned the Green Beret in 2012. And then from that point on, it was game on. It was shooting schools, um, deployments around the world, training with different militaries, climbing mountains, doing all kinds of stuff, jumping out airplanes. It was awesome. Um, and then in 2015, um, we ended up going to Afghanistan at kind of an interesting time in the war because the war had just ended and there was a contingency operation. Um, so it was more of a handover, you know, the Afghan soldiers and the government were going to take charge and do everything. Right. And uh, so we were there and ended up getting injured um, on a, a due to ID explosion. And then I've uh, been retired since uh, 2016, December 2016. Green Beret, always interesting. It's a much more complex and much more diverse role. Um, I think of, you know, the spec op teams like the Navy's got SEALs. That is like a like a fist punch. We're inserting a team that's just like we need a targeted strike and we need a, an objective accomplished and it's, it's, it's in and out and it's fast. Green Berets, that's more of like a long-term game, right? They insert you guys sometimes, and you are to be establishing communications and developing a relationship and helping, uh, what's the standard term we hear? Advise, train, and assist, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's so ambiguous, but yeah. <laughs> um, it's, it is awesome. So we were kind of like the jack of all trades. We go in and we can, I mean, 12 guys are on one SF team. And you can go in and advise up to a battalion's worth of partner force um, soldiers, which is pretty incredible. So I could be advising um, up to, you know, 50 50 guys and training them how to do whatever specialty, whether it's communications, intelligence, weapons, um, medical stuff. And so you're like a quintessential force multiplier, which is awesome. Since you go into the environment, whether it's austere environment, whether it's a friendly environment, plan accordingly, and you use them work through them by with and through them to help them achieve their objectives and our objectives it's uh, to me there's nothing better to be honest with you because we can do almost everything wow so such a tribute and a testament to the power that is 
the American forces and, you know, most certainly the Green Berets, because we can go in and yes. not not nation build, but you can go into a village, like you said, and, and especially if it's a friendly one, like you can go in and literally help them pick up, mm-hmm. you know, themselves and really get a more functioning town. You can help with the engineering. You can help with uh, just all the systems mm-hmm. that a village will need to be more successful and self-sustaining. Now, it is not without its hazards. Talk to me about uh, the day you'll never forget, man. So, uh, December 4th, 2015, um, a.k.a. my 31st birthday, um, we were in Helmand Province, Afghanistan, clearing a, an IED facility, and um, I was leading a small group of commandos, and it was kind of close to dawn, and so usually what happens at that time is the Taliban starts fighting because they don't have typically night vision capabilities. So we had a little sense of urgency that we had to clear this place and we couldn't leave it because the sun was coming up. And we found several booby traps where double stack mortars or um, artillery rounds linked to pressure plates. We had we cleared a couple of them because we had a dog handler and a dog. Also had an EOD guy. We also had a guy with a, um, a local with a minesweeper, handheld minesweeper. So we cleared the majority of the, the compound, found a small shack that had um, not been cleared. And so I sent four Afghans, including my interpreter, to go check it out. And as soon as they got in, they started yelling, you know, hey, hey, we found something. So I sent in the guy with the handheld minesweeper inside this little shack. And then I sent the bomb dog and his handler inside this little shack. And then at that point, I said, okay, you know, everything looks to be clear. Walked in and then looked on the corner. Um, and there's a little hole in what appeared to be homemade explosives, you know, some white powdery substance. Um, and I was like, okay, so this is probably the explosives we're looking for. So I went to step out of the shack to make the radio call, and that's when I ended up stepping on a pressure plate that was in the threshold that all six, um, eight of us really had missed. Um, and then at that point, explosion, um, saw the extent of the injuries, and very, very quickly, my team came to my aid. I mean, within 30 seconds, which was pretty incredible, and um, started administering aid and called for a medevac helicopter. And then at that point is when there started to be an active gunfight. So my team had to fight off some, some guys to create some space. And kind of a silly point at that um, moment in time, the medic wasn't near me. They had to come from a little bit of a distance just because of, we got separated. So my guys didn't have a, a, a stretcher or a litter. Looking around the, t- the compound, they found a Taliban stretcher and ended up med- medevacing me on a Taliban stretcher into the American helicopter. So that was pretty funny. But um, <laughs> oh, the son of a bitch just at least man. left you something helpful behind. All right, good. We it, should we should take that stretcher. <laughs> I mean, you kind of look around. You're like, well, that's what I got. It doesn't matter, you know. Right, right, right. Talk to me about uh, the recuperation and then, like, the extent of the injuries. Just, like, what all was on your journey ahead of you after, you know, that day? Sure. So so from that point on, I ended up being transferred to Kandahar, to Germany, to Walter Reed in Washington, D.C., and then eventually to San Antonio, Texas um, for full recovery. But the extent of the injuries, I ended up losing my left leg below the knee, my right leg above the knee. I had three or four blood clots pulmonary emblems in, in my lungs, went into liver, or excuse me, kidney failure, had to go on dialysis, 64 blood transfusions, um, almost lost a couple fingers in my right hand, and then I got pretty severe infections and fungal and bacterial infections from the dirt. So recovery was a long, drawn-out process. I, I ended up in San Antonio, Texas, at the Center for the Intrepid, which is one of the world's leading spots for amputee recovery. They 
completely set me up for success um, because of all the, the experience, the knowledge, the equipment that they had there. They got me walking um, within four months, um, which was pretty incredible on some really state-of-the-art prosthetics. And then they sent me on trips. And they sent me on surfing trips. They sent me on rock climbing, shooting, running, golfing. I mean, scuba diving trips, it was awesome, but it was not just have fun. It was to re- rehabilitate you through life experiences, to, to experience these things, which are not easy to do even when you're um, not dealing with an injury. So it was amazing. Now, as Caleb fought to keep his spirits up over a thousand miles away, Danny Nichols was lifting the spirits of vets through surfing. Amazing Surf Adventures. Um, it's a nonprofit organization. It was founded by Van Carraza back in 2008. He started Amazing Surf Adventures to help at-risk youth. The funny thing is, is Van and I used to uh, surf together, um, you know, back in the day when uh, when I was coming up as a professional surfer, and he was kind of at the tail end of his career as a professional surfer, and he was a wild individual. <laughs> and, uh, you know, just typical 80s, you know, uh, you can you can imagine the, uh, the rock and roll lifestyle of the 80s. He, uh, he owned that. Oh, and, wow. And uh, he, he was an amazing surfer and he charged hard and, uh, and, and that carried over into every facet of his life. So uh, eight years ago, um, he started uh, Amazing Surf Adventures to help at-risk youth. You know, and having experienced his own struggles, you know, with addiction and stuff, he, uh, you know, he always turned to surfing as a means to stay positive. And so his mission was to help kids. Danny went on to tell me about a chance meeting that Van had with a wounded warrior from the Brook Army Medical Center in Texas. He wanted to learn to surf. Those lessons had a huge impact on Van, and he soon recruited all of his pro surfer buddies to join forces create Operation Surf, and help wounded warriors get on the path to recovery. We're just guides, right? Like as surf instructors, we're just guides that bring a group to the beach. Um, The ocean is a very healing place. Um, You know, we have no control over the ocean. Um, So instantly, every single one of us that goes into the ocean has to surrender. I like to connect and get to know uh, my participant Right off the bat, you know, a lot of times we just we talk just real lightly about stuff. And, uh, you know, when we get down to the water's edge, you know, I just share with them kind of my process and just say, hey, look, you know what? We're at the water's edge. You know, the earth is, you know, I think 73% water. Uh, in addition to that, the earth is a speck of sand compared to what's out there in this universe. Uh, There is an energy going on right now that is keeping everything in sync. And, um, you know, I like to uh, take a moment and uh, give thanks, talk about some things that I'm grateful for internally, almost like I'm offering the ocean myself. And, uh, And I like to dedicate my surf session to you know, those that can't be with us right now. And so I share that with them because, you know, if they can get themselves into that place, then they are naturally allowing their energy to become one with the ocean, right? But exactly how do a bunch of pro surfers make veterans, who are oftentimes missing limbs, feel comfortable 
in an unforgiving and unpredictable ocean. Um, and then we go, we go slow, you know, depending on their physical challenge. Um, you know, we may be paddling together as a team, you know, um, if they've never surfed before, they don't have the surf muscles yet. So the balancing on the ribs and the chest yeah, and yeah. paddling is, is really hard. Um, but it's a good hard because they're so focused on that that they're not thinking about what are the challenges they may have. And, uh, and so when we get out there and we get out to the back and we sit there, you know, we just say, hey, look, let's just hang out for a minute, enjoy the movement of the ocean, enjoy the sun. Oh, look, there's a dolphin, right? right? Yeah. Or, you know what I mean? Like, you just, just enjoy it and, um, you know, and give thanks because it, it, is a, it is a beautiful thing that we get to do to be in the ocean and be with Mother Nature. Um, and a lot of people will tell you, man, it feels like you're being baptized. Caleb Brewer seemed to agree. And, you know, they, they bring you to the airport, and then from the airport to the place where we went, which was Santa Cruz, California, for that event, they bring the police department, the sheriff's department, the VFW, the fire department, the Boy Scouts, the Girl Scouts, the mayor. I mean, everybody is there escorting you from the, from the airport to the beach with a huge ceremony. Everybody's saying thank you for your service. Everybody's giving you a hug. Everybody's smiling. And I'll be honest with you. I thought it was fake at first. I was like, there's no way in the world that there's this much happiness in one single spot. It just kind of just baffled me. I yeah. couldn't believe it. But um, so they brought us in, but that stuff continued on. And it was just a game changer because not only is there that happiness, but there's also the water. So kind of like you're talking about that mental aspect for somebody like me that has to worry about walking and the difficulty of walking, the water is completely freeing and it's just it's hard to it's hard to describe like the peace that comes from just being out on the water. And even if you're not even on a board, you can just be just in the water in some some fashion or other, and it helps just calm all these PTSD demons that just plague guys because they come back and you know just it's hard to to deal with it. But like right out of the, I mean, four months after getting hurt, they threw me in this, and it was literally a ninety degree turn in my life of positivity and just saying I can do this. You know, it was it was amazing. Now, another thing about surfing that I've always loved are the little moments, those few seconds of magic, like the rising shape of a swell as it rolls closer and closer to you, the sun reflecting off the water like diamonds, the tint of the sky at dawn or dusk. And within a few hours of Operation Surf, Caleb experienced it too. For one, like my, my surf instructor was a, uh, a pro surfer, a uh, retired pro surfer, and I was in such poor shape that he had to tow me out there on his board. He, he just towed me out there through the surf, and then I'm sitting there this, thinking, this is crazy. Like, how am I going to get back out there? And then we're out there, and he's trying to explain to me about surfing, the lifestyle, you know, the, the water, looking for sets, and the people, everybody's talking and joking. And all of a sudden, little seal pops up next to us, you know, five, ten feet away and just and just kind of just floats around for a second, goes back and pops up, you know, 20 feet away. And it's just like, wow, this is this is awesome. <laughs> There's the people here, yeah. nature, the environment, everything. How could you be how could you be depressed and mad here? You know, surfing has an immediate impact on the spiritual side. But in every surfer's journal is that one side that is even bigger than spirituality. 
it's the very first time they were able to drop in and catch a wave. Oh, I'll never forget it. Um, Because you you keep trying to get into the wave, and your instructor is there, and you you don't really realize it at first, but he's actually, or she is pushing you into the wave to get you there at the right moment, because it's all about timing. All about that timing, because you could have the, the perfect position, but if you're a little too late or a little too early, you're going to completely miss it or you're just going to get smashed by the white water. And there, there was a perfect moment where he, my instructor, Riku, just said, hey, I'm going to give you this one to you on your own. And I was like, all right. So I look and he's like, all right, this one come in. So I position myself. I start paddling and he's giving me some verbal cues. Hey, paddle a little faster. Hold on, wait a little bit. And then he's just kind of lining me up. And then he just said, go. And so I just paddled as hard as I could. And I feel the like it was a good sized wave too. I mean, maybe it was only two feet, but it felt good to me. And I go on the top of it and I was like, no, this wave is gonna pass right under me. I'm gonna miss it. And all of a sudden I remember what he said to lean forward a little bit for the weight shift. I leaned forward and I dropped. Dropped down to this wave. And there's no feeling like that. It was like if you imagine like a skateboarder on a half pipe, like he just goes and just drops right down to this half pipe. And I dropped right down to the face of that wave and rolled that sucker all the way in. And I had seen another guy at that um, the event do a, a handstand coming in. And I was like, all right, all right, I'm gonna do it. And so I dropped right down on the wave, waited to get a little stable, and I popped up and did a little bit of a handstand for like two seconds and then just ate it after that. But at that point, I was like, this is amazing. I got this, I'm understanding the flow of everything. It was so cool. <laughs> That is so great, brother. And uh, trapped here in my office building in Washington, D.C., I got to say, it's addictive every time. I talked to Danny last week. I talked to you this week. Uh, I'm literally counting the days down till I go on my annual beach vacation because uh, the moments stay with me for the rest of the year. The serenity, the peace, the, the, the when the board picks up and I know Mother Nature's just got me and I'm at, you know, and I'm just moving, mm-hmm. dancing on the sky above this water. It's just so much fun. Um, tell me about how these moments now, you live in Arizona, so you don't get to surf a lot. Um, (laughs) how do these moments stay with you throughout the year? Uh, Like, I mean, do you observe trips to the beach or do you just kind of try to get your mind right? And like when stuff gets stressful, remember those flashpoints and those emotions you had out on the board? I mean, I would say absolutely all the above. Um, so for one, I'm trying to make an effort to come to Operation Surf as much as I can in a volunteer capacity. Um, I went this uh, a couple weeks ago. They had a Huntington Beach event. And then last year I went. The, the, the biggest thing to me is the combination of surfing and the people. And I've been to some other events um, with different organizations that have been pretty powerful. But the people and the water are what make this, to me, just stand out as the best. And that's the, like straightforward. That's no BS the people, like you said, Danny, Van Carraza, there's people like Jez and Riku and there's tons of people there that come and they've been coming there for years, you know, eight, nine years to volunteer to be part of this. And then they create like this ripple effect and this ripple effect kind of manifests itself in the form of the veteran support guys that now come back and they volunteer, they drive on their own, fly on their own dime, they pay for their own hotels and they help set up, tear down, they mentor the new people coming in and they cr- like they just create this awesome network of dudes that to be honest with you, there's so many veteran support now that they could probably outnumber the participants retired army green beret caleb brewer currently lives near tucson arizona but he makes the commitment to travel to surf whenever he can danny nichols can be found on huntington beach surfing and at the water's edge 
giving thanks. You know, you, you start to realize that, you know what, those are life lessons. Whether you're driving in a car or you're at the DMV or you're at the mall with your family, like, <laughs> you just got to surrender and go with the flow. And Operation Surf can be found online at AmazingSurfAdventures.org. I'm Phil Briggs, and I can be found in Washington, D.C. each week making Vet Story. And each week wishing I was on the beach with nothing to do but surf. Until next time, I'll talk to you again on another episode of Vet Story on ConnectingVets.com. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod. There is another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.